This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Art of Charm podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. And we are currently experiencing a lockdown here in the state of California. We hope each and every listener is safe, isolating from this coronavirus crisis. You know, AJ, I was thinking this might be the first time in 14 years that you and I have been separated. I've never felt so apart from you, Johnny. (laughs) Well, perhaps we can use this time for both of us to reflect about our world around us. Absolutely. And certainly making time for our loved ones. I know how busy it is for both of us running the Art of Charm and the coaching programs and everything else. And sometimes we don't take enough time to breathe and enjoy time spent or conversation spent with family and friends. I know that I am using this time wisely. I'm able to catch up on the books for our guests that are going to be coming on. I'm able to do some reflecting and some journaling that I've been neglecting. And I've been also able to turn my head towards some new skills that I've been wanting to build. And dialing in those habits, that morning routine, that evening routine, Now, without commuting, we have more time for ourselves to dial in those successful habits. This is the Art of Charm podcast, a show where we bring you actual tips and strategies on how to supercharge your social skills and turn that boring small talk into smart talk, surrounding yourself with an army of high-status individuals to grow your social capital. Unlock your hidden charisma to crush it in business, love, and life. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum each and every week. That's what we do here at The Art of Charm. And if you like this show, don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. That's right. Hammer the subscribe button and share the show with your friends. Now, if you're looking to make your lockdown or quarantine more productive, check out our Core Confidence Group Mentoring Program. You get access to our network with daily live videos from me, Johnny, and the AOC team. Core Confidence is all about defining your life and rewriting the story of who you are. Each week, you meet on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Pacific with your virtual group and coaches. We have weekly challenges that push you outside of your comfort zone, grow your confidence, and deepen your connections with friends, family, and coworkers. And every mission is coronavirus quarantine friendly, so you don't even have to leave the house. We cover topics like dealing with the negative emotions, defining your values, living in the present moment identifying your limiting beliefs, and achieving crystal clear goals. Join a group of supportive and like-minded Art of Charm listeners to bond and grow during this crisis. Expand your network and connect virtually to reach your true potential. Our next group kicks off April 4th at 9 a.m. Pacific. We're accepting applications now with limited seats left. That's right. Our next group kicks off April 4th at 9 a.m. Pacific, and we're accepting applications. To learn more, head on over to theartofcharm.com slash core. Theartofcharm.com slash core. C-O-R-E. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Let's kick off the show. Today, we're talking with Mark Metry. His book, Screw Being Shy, Learn How to Manage Social Anxiety and Be Yourself in Front of Anyone, just got released. He's also the host of Humans 2.0 podcast, which was ranked in the top 100 in Apple iTunes in 2018, just a year after he started it. Mark has an amazing story of overcoming adversity, and we have him here to share that journey with us today. Hey, Mark. What's up, guys? How are you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Every day is a new day, so... 
Crazy times. Crazy yeah. times. Mark, I'm I'm excited about this because I had been watching some of your interviews and obviously humans 2.0 has taken on a new meaning, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm I've been following you guys for like the last three years. Like oh, every right every one of my guests that I have on and I search them up on the podcast app, <laughs> your interviews always come up. I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch that one because these guys actually know what they're doing. So, um, so yeah, but thank you guys for having me here. And uh, amidst this, uh, this very interesting time where we're all just sort of trying to figure it out as we go day by day, like you said, so yeah. interesting. We were, you know, honestly <laughs> oscillating between do we keep podcasting? Do we pause? You know, mm. how can we do our part? What, what goes on? And I think as we were saying earlier, I don't know if you caught that, but there has to be some level of normalcy uh, before mm. the panic hits. So uh, we're going to try to have a, a fun show here, but I know it's sort of hanging over everyone's heads. So what's, uh, how's the, how's Boston right now? Um, it's, uh, okay. <laughs> it's yeah. interesting. Um, I don't really, I don't know how to respond. I mean, I think uh, you can't, you can't be in a gathering more than 10 people. Yeah. Um, only supermarkets, pharmacies are open for the most part. Um, Do you have so, yeah, toilet I mean, paper? Been, That's the, the question that everyone wants to know. I got toilet paper, man. Okay. I'm happy. Um, doing well. But it's okay. We had some outbreaks here because there was a conference that ran and like 50 or like 100 people got it. So it's been interesting. But our, our government, I think, has been on good terms being proactive and trying to get ahead of this in Massachusetts. And have you noticed uh, sort of the same thing that we're seeing all over that young people are far less concerned and going out and socializing? I mean, I've definitely seen those Twitter videos of people like at the beach, like in Florida. Oh my God. Like yeah. that's Johnny's family. That's like what they there. show before the movie. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's that, what they show like in the first scene. You know, perhaps we'll save this for the show, but. Well, we're, we're yeah. recording. So. Oh, okay. Well, you know, show. you know, I was 20 years old. At, one time as well. And, you know, I lived in North Carolina and, and there was a time, um, it was hurricane Fran came through and just ripped the place apart. And so we were all warned. And as a 22 year old, 23 year old, I went to the store and bought two frozen pizzas and two cases of beer. And I was like, I'm good. I'm stocked up. So the hurricane comes, I get hammered, drink one case, had one left. I woke up the next morning, the power's out and I, and, and the tree had fallen into my house. And so how are you supposed to cook a frozen pizza? Well, <laughs> well, you, you build a fire in the yard <laughs> and you just wing that thing on her in tinfoil. But you know, th I, th I mean, that was my sense of planning and prepping at that age, you know? And my other point in this was they wanted everyone to stay home because so much damage had come through, but mm. the bars were open. And as somebody who, didn't have any food and I wanted to be around people. And you only my, had a case of beer left. So I only obviously. had a case of beer. So my rationale was, well, the bars are open. So how bad can it be? And if the bars are open, well, then that's fine for me to be there. Now, I know that rationale is the same thing that is compelling these young folks to go out. But there's another mechanism that is at, that is at play here that I've been speaking about on Twitter, which is... It is that same mechanism in all young people to, to, for a young man to go off in a foreign land with a rifle uh, to fight for a cause that he is not very versed in or has, has, has no, knows very well, for that glory and the risk and everything that comes involved, it is that mechanism that has built this country and has built a lot of societies and that is the the good and the bad of it, and it is that recklessness, carelessness, risk that that comes with that that mm -hmm. compels these young people to be going out to Miami and throwing caution to the wind. So it's not that I'm condoning it, but I certainly understand it. I think a big part of it is I, I was having a uh, a conversation with a friend of mine, and she was like, "Yeah, I'm going to head up to Florida this weekend," and I was like, <laughs> "Okay." And I think a big part of it is just. I mean, now I think everyone knows, but a big part of it is people don't know that 
this affects everyone. And like, you could be a carrier, you could get infected, you could not show symptoms. And so there was like this false narrative in my generation, I guess, that was like, oh, if you're not 70, don't worry about it. Just do whatever you want. But now we're kind of understanding that, you know, this is very much sort of a season. And like, we have to sort of hunker down and hibernate while this kind of blows over. Yeah, I think a big part of it is the constant railing on the media and experts and people in their own bubble. We don't know who to trust. So even when we are getting information Mm -hmm. now, we're very skeptical. Everyone is very skeptical. And of course, we're seeing the information trickle out in Mm -hmm. ways that now we're seeing our leaders react in very stark ways that makes Mm -hmm. it clear to everyone, okay, this is a real problem. But outside Mm -hmm. of that, I mean, we were planning our wedding and even Amy and I joked, we're like, oh, we're going to go to Italy regardless. And that's completely foolish to think that way now. But because of the lack of information we had, we we heard the same thing. Oh, it impacts people who are older as long as you quarantine and isolate yourself. So my, I have a buddy who was in Egypt. They decided, you know what, let's uh, get back to America. And they found themselves stuck. America's not letting anyone back in. And then they had to scramble to see what countries would allow them to get in. So they finally arrived in Bangkok and that's where they are. That's where that was the one place that they could get in that they were like, okay, well, that sounds good enough. So that's like the worst case scenario. (laughs) I feel like somewhere else overseas. We're on the flip side, going to see an epidemic of social anxiety when this all subsides. (laughs) I I feel like we're already starting to get nervous and leery around each other. Yeah. Uh, I've been to the grocery store. I've seen people Mm -hmm. cough next to me and I've shot dirty looks. I know we're all on edge around getting close to people. Uh, As someone who talks a lot about social anxiety, who has overcome it themselves, what are your thoughts now entering this new phase where social distancing is the norm for the foreseeable future? Man, it's it's so weird. And, you know, of course, I didn't I didn't time the launch of my book this Saturday where all this (laughs) stuff was kind of happening. I mean, I talk about it in my book. It's like, yeah, you should not socially isolate yourself. You should not stay inside (laughs) all day. But now it's like, wait, everyone is telling me to I've got to. And so honestly, you know, the way that I kind of view it is how maybe, you know, you express yourself, you know, what kind of words come out of your mouth? You know, is your forehead sweating? Is your throat shaking and clenching up. Dr. Ellen Hendrickson uh, out of Boston University, she defines social anxiety as a perceived deficiency when it comes to your social skills, your physical appearance, how other people perceive you, your entire character that makes it seem in your head that you have to compensate, you have to make up for something. Because if you don't, then people are going to make fun of you and judge you and mock you. And so I think people kind of understand that side to social anxiety. You know, for me, like I remember when I was going through this as a kid, I remember almost like every night I would think back to my head and I would just replay all the social interactions, all the conversations I had. And I would just regret so much. And I'd be like, man, I, I wish I could have like actually been myself. I wish I could have actually spoken up or I wish I didn't say that thing that I was super afraid to that just sort of came out. And, you know, because of that, I mean, I remember I would overthink for like four hours before going to sleep, which, you know, not falling asleep impacts so many other areas of your health, your biochemistry, sets you up to do the same exact thing the next day. And so, yeah, man, it's a, it's a really interesting conversation that I have, especially around quarantine time. But I think that there are definitely things that people can do, honestly, outside of the whole social sphere that can help them be, you know, less socially anxious, less uh, extremely shy if they kind of have that problem, you know, around their life and it's kind of impacting many different areas of their lives. But it's an interesting conversation. I didn't think I'd answer this question for sure. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we're all isolating ourselves, but at the same time, we need to be social. We are social creatures. Our health and well being depends on feeling connected and part of a community. So, we're going to be moving into a situation where exactly this, a Skype call, a Zoom call is going to be our opportunity to socialize, especially if this quarantine lasts months and, and potentially a year plus. 
there is the part of, yes, being physically in the same room with someone and the, the nonverbal communication that's lacking. But exactly your point, there's also this need to replay and almost think about it like a tape delay. Like, oh, I wish I would have said that or I wish I could have been more charismatic in those moments. And for you, you know, obviously the experience at a young age, feeling this way, throwing yourself into video games and now transitioning into podcasting. Tell us a little bit more about that backstory for you because it is fairly remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. So like on previous interviews and podcasts and stuff, when people hear that I was making uh, like six figures when I was 15, 16 from doing something that I loved, a lot of people are like, oh my God, you're some kind of like wonderkin entrepreneur. And the matter of the fact is, is like, because I had social anxiety, because of the fact that it put up so many boundaries on my life, I didn't really have any real friends, wasn't a part of any groups, clubs, didn't play any sports. And so quite frankly, out of just a coping mechanism to just deal with the stresses of my life, I got on the internet pretty early, like, uh, like a year before social media was beginning to establish in like 2007 had a YouTube channel in like 2008, 2009, uh, eventually just started to learn how to code websites. iPhone came out, started to make apps. Eventually I got really into just like making random websites, making little things that people can use um, and then sometimes make money. And when I was 15, I ended up stumbling across this game called Minecraft. And long story short, I just made this multiplayer server so I could just play with me and a couple of my friends. Next thing you know, we kind of open it up to the public. And uh, long story short, it becomes the world's number one Minecraft server. We start to make a, a ton of money and whatnot. And honestly, what happened was because of the fact that I was getting external validation now from the outside world, people are virtually are telling me I'm awesome. I went to like <laughs> I went to this conference once when I was 17, like this Minecraft conference. And they were like, oh, like these 14 and 13 year old boys walking up to me. And it was just really just feelings and emotions that I had never experienced before. But also at that same time, I realized that, you know, because my parents immigrated here to this country from Egypt, um, they came here with $200, never really had any kind of money before. And so I had this kind of narrative in my head of, you know, once I make enough money, then I'll buy a house, you know, I'll get a dog and I'll be happy and my problems will go away. And so I reached that at a pretty early age. And if anything, it, it just made me even more confused. It just kind of like I'm still a loser. I still think of myself. Nothing in my life has actually changed aside from the material world. And so when that happened, sent me on like a really interesting, uh, confusing path in my life for like three, four years where it ended up me turning out going to college and me falling down sort of a super stressful spiral in my life where my lifelong social anxiety turned into social isolation. And I think I began to actually become depressed seriously for the first time in my life, which eventually down, led me down this rabbit hole of being over 200 pounds. At one point, I was like suicidal for, for a month. And I mean, eventually it led me to understanding that I had social anxiety and getting on the path of trying to, on a daily basis, sort of heal from that, begin to take the right kinds of steps. I ended up losing the weight, becoming a confident person, starting a business podcast. And yeah, I mean, it's been a pretty interesting, it's been a pretty interesting journey to say the least. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data. And a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. 
That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I wouldn't think that there would be a lot of other kids your age who were coming to that realization as quickly as you were coming to it. What was the, the moment that you were honest with yourself to answer, yes, it's the, the root cause of this is my social anxiety, which has put me in this position. And was, who was there for you when you needed somebody to help pull you out of that? So the really interesting part about this is like when I was a kid and I was going through this, I actually had no idea that I had social anxiety. I just thought that like there was just something wrong with me. I was just born and destined to be some kind of a loner, like just kind of in my own bubble. A lot of uh, judgment, a lot of lack of forgiveness, lack of acceptance around who I really was in the first place. And so when I was 18 and I was in college, I went to my first college party and uh, I got drunk for the first time. <laughs> and when I, you know, was inebriated, all of a sudden I was like, whoa, I could walk up to any guy or girl and say whatever I want. And I remember the next day being like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like I've never been able to do that. Like what just sort of happened? And that was like the beginning of me actually becoming consciously aware of the fact that I had social anxiety. And as I did that, began to, you know, Google it, look it up. I'm like, oh, wow, this is actually essentially this, this response that my body, my brain has gone through at a young age. And in turn, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, consequences. And so when I first realized that, the really interesting thing was it gave me some degree of liberation because I was like, oh, I guess I'm not just a super terrible person, but this is actually like some scientific thing that is a par for me. But also at the same time, it really, really scared me in the sense of like when you identify a problem in your life and you actually realize that it's there, then that means that you can do something about it. You can actually get on that path of trying to learn more about it, trying to take actions, trying to learn from other people. And so when that first happened, I was not a fan of that. And I tried to run in the other direction. And I tried to be like, hey, how do I get this voice out of my head? I don't, I don't want to deal with the responsibilities of life. And so that led me down more alcohol, more partying, any kind of thing that I could do to shut my brain off. Binge yeah. watching Netflix. For me, my real one was food. I binge ate. I would essentially just try to fill the hole in my soul with like Sour Patch Kids and pizzas and, and ice creams. Next thing I know, I'm like 200 pounds. And when I was in that really dark moment in my life, the really interesting part about it was, you know, my, my parents, my family, my sister, they would tell me like, hey, Mark, are, are you all right? You, you seem a little off. You seem not like yourself. You seem a little bit different. At that time, too, I also had two roommates and they had no idea. And so like a point in my book that I talk about is like, especially people that have social anxiety that have really like perfected like this mask, this social mask that they put around themselves. A lot of us are, are struggling and we are putting up like this perfect illusion, perfect facade. And so there were many people around my life that I loved and they loved me. But unfortunately, a lot of them just quite frankly, couldn't help me because I didn't tell them. And so, you know, two things that really happened to me that kind of begin to shift my perspective was when I began to walk around outside and essentially what I would do was in Boston, I would walk to like the most dangerous part of the city where there's like the most crime and shootings. And I would just take a walk there because I would fantasize about someone walking up to me and just ending my life because I was just in so much pain that I, I had no idea how to get out of it. And so when I was at that point, one thing that I began to do was 
I listened to my first podcast and I listened to my first podcast with Tim Ferriss and it was some random episode and he was talking about the fact that when he was in college, he was also suicidal and he wrote this letter. And so I was walking and in my, in my earbuds, I'm like, wow, this guy is talking about how he was in my position that I'm literally in right now. And yet this guy has like, you know, it's not just the fact that he has a big podcast, but he's, he's influencing a lot of people. He's helping mm-hmm. people change their lives and so on and so forth. That was one of them. And the other one was, I remember on one of those nights when I was walking, I, I really began to not use my phone. I wasn't distracted. This was like at 2.30 a.m., no cars in the middle of the street, nobody walking, no distractions, no nothing. And it's hard to explain, to be quite honest, but I kind of felt this, I heard this eerie sense of silence. It was almost as if I could hear silence for the first time in my life. And I remember just like kind of looking around for the first time in my life, felt almost like a, like a warm sense of intuition from the inside of me, kind of like kind of like my mom walked up to me and gave me a hug. It was like that very warm, loving feeling. And when that happened, that gave me the hope, that gave me the faith to realize that, wow, maybe and I was 18 at the time, I was like, man, maybe I actually don't know everything about life. Maybe I actually don't know that my life is gonna be terrible and I'm so screwed up because clearly, I just experienced an emotion that I didn't even know existed. And so when I kind of had that, honestly, it was almost like a mini moment of like surrender where I realized like my ego is not always right. And like a lot of people don't understand the fact that you could have a very low self-esteem, you could have very low self-confidence, but you could have a massive ego. And that ego is always trying to get you to realize that right. you're right. I know you, you're right. You, you did it this way. But for me, like the real break that led me to, to who I am now was realizing that I really had to surrender my ego. I had to realize that I don't know all the answers. I had to stop the way that I was living my life and just get out there and learn and try to take those steps and try to get out there. And so honestly, there were many, many people who helped me on my journey like my mom, dad, sister, my best friends. I had a best friend of mine come to my college dorm room and he didn't leave until we got to hang out. I told him, nah, man, I don't, I don't want to hang out. And he literally stayed downstairs and called me like 65 times. And so there were so many people that helped me on my journey. And you know, I thank those people every single day in my life. So that's a fantastic question, man. For most of us who have social anxiety, our friends and family don't recognize it or see it because we're not second guessing ourselves around them. It's strangers and people who don't know us who would probably pick up on that social anxiety. So unfortunately, a lot of the people around us are conditioned to just say, Hey, just be yourself. It's okay. You're, you're totally fine. Like you're all, it's all in your head and they dismiss it. And of course that dismissing it makes you feel it stronger because you're like, wow, then something is really wrong with me because they're saying I shouldn't even worry about it. Why is this thing weighing me down? I think the second thing that was really remarkable is when you realize that there is this social anxiety, you're confronted with a choice now of dealing with it and trying to fix it. Whereas before you knew about social anxiety, you're just like, well, I was just born this way and this is just how my life is going to be. It's like a fish in water. But when you realize, oh, it doesn't have to be this way, now you're forced to actually put in work. And that, that choice can be a lot of pressure that a lot of people don't realize of like, oh, well, I need to go about fixing this now. This isn't right. This isn't the way it should be. What were the steps that you went through to start breaking the social anxiety? I think the realization is key. And obviously our listeners who are dealing with social anxiety will relate to the fact that, yeah, friends and family don't pick up on these signals. How did you yeah. make your way through and come out the other side, human 2.0? So what's really interesting is when I first discovered that I had social anxiety and I, I did some Googling, I did some research and I found out like, oh yeah, the way to do this is to expose yourself, to systematically, incrementally expose yourself to these things. And so I remember trying to do this and I remember <laughs> trying to walk outside in like city of Boston and just try to talk to random strangers on the street. And I would like see someone 
And then my brain <laughs> would talk me out and be like, no, 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 not that person. They look like they're busy. Just do it to the next person. And the next person comes, you're like, no, 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 no. Like, that's not good. And then you're like, to me, when I was in that moment, my nervous system was literally sending me messages like, dude, you're going to die. You need to run. You need to hide. And so I tried doing that and I really couldn't get it to work. And so I don't exactly know, but I think it, it stressed me out even more. And so funny enough, when I had that moment where I was walking on the street and I was suicidal and I kind of had this really transformative interpersonal experience, I remember running back home and I remember looking at myself in the mirror. And at this time, I actually didn't know any of this was happening. I didn't know I was in rock bottom. I actually didn't know that I was depressed. And what happened was when I looked at myself in the mirror, all of a sudden it was like I was in the present moment. And it was almost as if like, I was like, huh, why aren't, why aren't my pants fitting me anymore? And that was almost like, uh, like I, I woke up from the trance that I was in where I was depressed and obese and all this stuff. And I was like, wait, I'm, I'm overweight. This is never happening before. And so with that happens, I began to tackle the material world first. I was like, I went on Google, Hey, how do I lose weight? <laughs> and then of course I was hit with you know, 650 different ideologies, diets, mm. detoxes, <laughs> all this stuff. But eventually I was let down this, uh, this way of eating this diet. That's basically just, um, it's called bulletproof. I'm sure you guys have heard <laughs> of it. Eat natural things, uh, that advocates for mental performance. And so I began to eat that way. And also at the same time over the summer, I was just reading, um, a wide variety of books, but they were mostly all about health and nutrition because I just wanted to lose weight. And so after I had lost the weight, I remember looking at myself in the mirror and being like, oh my God, I did this. Like there was a before and after. And at that moment, I actually realized that self-development was a real thing. For whatever reason, up to that point, it never occurred to me like, hey, if you put in this, if you push this button, something else is going to come out. And so when I experienced that, I realized that change is very much possible. And so once I had that level of energy, just because of the food that I was eating, I kind of felt like my brain turned on. And when that happened, I began to exercise for the first time in my life. When that happens, then you begin to sleep well, seven, eight hours for the first time in your life. And then after that, you get even more energy. So you're like, Hey, let me try reading a ton of these books. And then you read these books and like, huh, everyone's talking about meditation. <laughs> everyone's talking about breathing. Everyone's talking about journaling. And so I basically just started to stack these habits. And then that eventually gave me the foundation to be able to do what I originally set out to do of like systematically expose myself to these things because it, it honestly, it made it much easier. And so like the really interesting part about this is like when I was doing my research for the book, I'm super glad that I originally went down the path of eating food at first because when I was doing my research for my book and specifically in terms of social anxiety and also some other mental health issues, there's often a, a key neurotransmitter that pops up, which is serotonin. It's yeah. mentioned a lot in the mental health fields and also like in leadership circles. It's a very, very complex a neurotransmitter. It does a lot of things in our body from regulating our mood to some parts of our appetite, sexual desire, sleep, and it regulates our functioning in social groups. And so this specifically for social anxiety is key. And when I was doing my research, a lot of the leading researchers, maybe about 15 years ago, were thinking that because it's a neurotransmitter, it's got to be in your brain, right? It's got to be in your mind. That's actually not the case. It turns out that five, 10% of serotonin is in your brain. 90, 95% is in your gut microbiome, which is this uh, vast ecosystem of bacteria next to your stomach and intestines that human beings have essentially formed a symbiotic relationship with for thousands of years that has made us the number one species on this planet. Anytime you eat food, your gut microbiome digests it first and then it passes it off to your body. And so, I mean, in, in my book, Screw Being Shy, I go into a lot of the studies that are correlating nutrition with mental health in this emerging field of psychology called uh, nutritional psychiatry. 
And I'm super glad that I kind of got started with this biochemical foundation because I really feel like it, it gave me sort of a strong base to then be able to, you know, maybe decrease the fear I had at like a biological level because my body and brain weren't getting enough sleep, wasn't exercising, was putting, you know, a, t- a ton of alcohol, a ton of sugar that was inflaming my brain and causing this issue to be even worse. And like the section in my book where I talk about this, I call it first my gut broke and then my brain broke. And I talk about the time where like the only time where I was really depressed and suicidal was the one time where I was binge eating a ton of crap and I gained a ton of weight. And so I think there's definitely um, a correlation there that is super interesting that I've heard on my show from a lot of like the leading neuroscientists and, and doctors between this super strong correlation between our food neurotransmitters and how that impacts our mental health and how we actually perform in group settings. Mark, I am so glad that you I know said we, that. we've taken heat over the years for for talking about diet and exercise on yeah. the show because they're like, mm. yeah, well, guys, stick to socialization, stick to conversation. This is not important. Well, and it, well, there's that. And it's if you're going to get into self-development, you just can't do one little thing and expect it's all connected. And so you have to dive in wholeheartedly. And, and when we're running our week long programs, it's, it encompasses everything. We encourage the guys to work out how they work out. We encourage the guys to eat right because it's all going to play a role in how you're viewing the world and how your brain works and adapts to new ideas. If you're eating junk and you're not exercising, your brain is not going to adapt. It's not going to be uh, malleable. And you're talking about this fight or flight response that's being stimulated. Well, it's going to take a massive amount of energy to overcome that signaling. And you're not going to get that energy from ice cream and pizzas. And, you know, just to bring it around to really quickly what we're, what's going on right now. I mean, we are at a war with an invisible enemy and your health is your number one weapon and defense in order to get through this and for everyone. Well, for me, it's been remarkable going to the grocery store and seeing what's sailing off the shelves and and all the healthy foods that people aren't choosing. And I saw a funny overheard LA, of course, to take it to LA that was like, well, now we'll see who the real vegans are. (laughs) Because in this situation, you know, we're defaulting to the frozen pizzas. We're defaulting to the easy, ready-made food. And and I have friends who are panicking saying, I I don't know how to cook. And I'm like, well, making sure that you can get whole nutritious foods in this time when you need a strong immune system, you need to be well-rested to take on this terrifying disease. Obviously, we're looking at sleep, we're looking at food, we're looking at exercise. Wait, we're talking about social anxiety? It's a head scratcher (laughs) for some in the audience, but when you have these things dialed in, you start looking around at other people going, man, you don't know what it feels like to live with a solid foundation. And even Penn from Penn and Teller does a show here yeah. or he's a, he's a part of cast. And I had seen an interview with him where he obviously for most of his life has been overweight. And he was saying that there would have never been a time that he would have admitted to anyone that he wasn't happy. He had tons of success and money and power in Vegas uh, from the work that he has done. And he put all of that energy into it, but he was wildly out of shape and was eating horribly. And he, after getting that straightened out through his journey, when he, he says, now, when I look back, I can't even believe how horrible I felt and didn't even recognize it because I I couldn't admit it to myself. And it takes getting healthy and looking back and seeing how you were behaving at crucial times that shown how you actually felt about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And and the way that I think about it is like software and hardware. <laughs> so software is like your mindset, uh, social skills, maybe even beliefs, uh, the books you read, the podcasts you listen to, the conversations you have. And then I think there's hardware, which is like everything that the software is running on. 
mm-hmm. your body, the physical organ that holds your mind, which is your brain, your gut microbiome, all these things. And like the analogy I give in my book is like, listen, dude, you could you could have like you could have the best version of iOS from Apple. You could have iOS 15 or whatever they're on. I have no idea. But if you try to install that on like an iPhone 2, like the most outdated, (laughs) slow hardware, I mean, listen, man, you could sit there for a while and try to brute force it. But the matter of the fact is, it's going to be easier if you can begin to look at these pieces that work together. And like the, I talk about in my book, it's like biochemistry, for sure, nothing is easy, but biochemistry is is much easier than you know talking to someone who's lived a life of social anxiety where their number one fear is talking to people. It's much easier to slowly get them to start putting the right things in their mouth, start moving, start sleeping, and then make that almost like a like a stable foundation to then go off of and then do all those other hard things where we now know that you know, if your brain isn't getting the right kinds of nutrients, if it isn't getting the right kinds of fats, if it isn't getting the right kinds of movement, sleep, hydration, uh, excessive amounts of uh, drugs, toxins, all these things, they very much impact your mindset at a foundational level that goes much, much deeper than just sort of like the surface level software. And so you definitely need both. Yeah, I I think the problem is a lot of people look for the shortcuts and they want to overclock their processor. They, they want to mm. push things to the limit by adding nootropics and taking all this stuff and supplements thinking, oh, well, if I just get this extra 10% out of my processor and it's like, no, you need a full hardware upgrade. You're not going to yeah. be able to run iOS 15, even if you overclock your iPhone 4. So yeah. it, it also is a challenge because many of the things that are hardwired into us, you look at school nutrition, you look at the way we're raised now to just get the food from the stores that's pre-prepared and you see the food that sells in, in times like this and you realize that it is an uphill battle. But when you go the other end and you start eating whole foods, you start looking at your diet, you start looking at your sleep, you're setting yourself up for success. Those are the big dominoes that knock everything else into place. How obvious to you, conscious to you, was the, that a moment that you were now starting to use this technology in a different manner after you have gotten yourself together. I'm a believer of this quote of use a tool, don't let the tool use you. Uh And so I think that when you have a population that just in broad terms is confused due to, and more or less talking about the perspective from my generation, Mm -hmm. a population that is confused because there's a lack of leadership. Um, It's never been a more confusing time to be a human being because Back then, you would just follow whatever path was in front of you, whatever your parents said. But now you can open your phone and you see a thousand different paths of life and from a thousand different people that are living on different corners. Then you ask, wait, is this actually right? Is this actually the truth? What am I supposed to do? And then you get a population that is physically unhealthy. Like you're talking about varying issues like the obesity rate. And for me, the really interesting thing was when I developed social anxiety when I was like 10, 11, I also came down with varying health conditions at the same exact time, like asthma, ADD, insomnia, issues with my skin, uh, stomach, appendix, a wide variety of things. And so when you're talking about a population that's like that, and you're also talking about, you know, one of the most powerful tools that anyone can have without a license without any kind of training, without a single class in school of like, hey, here's how to use your phone. Here's how to use this technology. Because the matter of the fact is, is, you know, the average person walking around now with a smartphone, I believe has more computing power in their pocket than than the United States president did 20 years ago. And so when you're talking about that, it's like, and you just throw in that super powerful piece of technology to a population that is already not doing so well, you're going to get a massive portion of them escape into what I call the digital dark vortex. (laughs) Um, A friend of mine, uh, Stephen Kotler, he wrote the book Stealing Fire. And it's all about um, this state of mind called flow, where you feel your best and you perform your best. And like that sense of self disappears. And he was telling me that video games are the best 
at doing this. And this can also be like video games on your phone too or whatever. And he also told me that if you tried to mimic flow, chemically speaking, like with drugs, external drugs, you would literally OD because it's not possible. And so I think there's like this massive, massive percentage of the population that is really lost, is confused, and they're going towards the easiest thing, which yep. is, you know, social media, a game, phone. And in turn, you know, if you think to yourself, hey, I'm socially anxious and I'm this way, so let me just, and of course, the quarantine aside, let me just sit inside and not talk to people and play these video games. That perpetuates the cycle where it's like, yeah, you have no social skills because you haven't even gone outside and tried because you're sort of too busy locked into a virtual world. And so that to me is is what comes to mind. And like you said, I mean, there's a part of my book where I say like social media could either be an amazing thing for you or it could completely destroy you. And so you really have to look at, I think, the psychology behind the user that's using that tool in the first place. And then also just like, how do you learn more about this to actually make your day your day, right? And so that goes to like shutting off notifications. You know, for me, like I schedule the times when I'm on social media in my calendar. So I'm not just like running around like a fish checking my phone while I'm doing a thousand things, which destroys like the focusing muscle of your brain. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's super interesting. And honestly, I think a big thing is like just getting really intentional about how you use this technology. And if it's using you or you're the one actually using it for what kind of specific intention? Yeah, I think you look at social media and it's just like going to the grocery store. You can choose the empty calories. You can be wowed by all the fancy colors and the labels and the intense marketing that's going on there. Or you can choose to eat your vegetables and follow the people who are espousing discipline, espousing, utilizing the time we have here on this planet, which we're all feeling now could be mm. cut short. You know, How are you using that time? And I think now is a great time for reflection and getting into that. What are you doing now? We're, we're just starting the quarantine. So what are you doing to stay more connected, to keep yourself from falling back into that socially anxious state? And how can we keep practicing our socializing while we're socially distancing? <laughs> Man, this is like the hardest question ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, state of the world aside, economy aside, uh, health and the 8,000 people that have died already aside, I think that this is going to be really great for people because when you're sitting inside for two weeks, like you said, it really brings you back to those questions. And so for me, I'm getting like, I feel like Monday morning, I feel like I'm going on like a campaign. Like I'm, I'm writing all the things down that I'm supposed to do. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to do a hundred burpees today. I have a pull up bar at, in, in between my bathroom door. I'm doing those every time I pass by it. My schedule is filled with, um, with meetings, FaceTiming people. I think that's really what it's about. If it's possible for you, if you don't live in like a super crowded area, going outside, getting some kind of sunlight, super, super important. Dr. Daniel Amen, which you guys should totally have on the show. I don't know if you know him or not. He's like world top mental health doctor. He's like, he's like Justin Bieber's doctor, all these people. He's found that the single, the one correlation between all mental health problems is a vitamin D deficiency, lack yeah. of vitamin D, which you primarily get from the sun and then also some, some foods that you eat. And so, yeah, man, I mean, I'm, if anything, I'm just using this time more of an excuse to focus more on discipline and really doing it because like, again, all the, you know, really not so great things happening in the world to a lot of people, their jobs, all that stuff aside, I think people are going to look back at this, whether it's two months, three months, six months, a year, I don't know, 10 years. And they're going to be like, man, that, that one month quarantine, that three month quarantine, I don't know, was like the time that almost the universe gave me to focus on the things that are most important in my life and to almost begin rebuilding who I am and to begin to not necessarily fix, but to begin to almost upgrade yourself. And so yeah, physical exercise, number one. Of course, I'm always eating clean 99.9% .9 of the time, uh, FaceTiming people, calling people, 
Um, right now I'm, I'm reaching out to friends that I haven't talked to in, in years, like that are on my contact list. And so I think this is really like, and maybe this is just because I'm an optimist. I think this is really the time where like a lot of us are getting back in touch with our human values that kind of got us here. And I remember, although it's not near to the scale, but I remember here in Boston when we had the Boston marathon bombing, our entire city came together. You know, we sort of felt a sense of unity that we've never had before. And the city has never been the same since. And so quite honestly, I think with all the things going on in the world from whatever politics, tribalism, people, it's us versus you, then that's it. And um, one of my friends, uh, Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, says that um, if you don't have a vision, then you seek division. And so I think this like what's happening i hope the opposite happens and i hope we all unite and we focus on ourselves and then we also focus on how do we be of service to other people because we could literally die for all we know so it's interesting well thank you for asking me that there certainly is a lot of hope and you know for myself uh i i'm on our twitter i was chatting with you yesterday and Mm. i'm trying to ignore the the negativity that's going on on social media. And I'm trying to look at all the positives and there are a lot of beautiful stories of people coming together. And we know throughout history that when there was a common enemy, that, that all nations that are set up right now have been able to galvanize, come together and go after that. And it's, it's when we get soft and lazy and there's nothing to fight that we end up eating ourselves. And and we have well, been, let's hope we don't end up eating <laughs> ourselves. And, and you could make the argument that that's what has been going on for a little while. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm going to agree with you on the optimism thing and, and hope for the best here that this is certainly what we need to shake things up and yeah, come I together. There's no doubt that we've all become complacent. Mm-hmm. And I think the time that we've spent now outside of our routine, outside of quote unquote normal has hopefully provided us some time to realize that some of the things we really cared about were pretty frivolous and pointless and meaningless and likes and views and and who's commenting on what really don't matter. I think reconnecting with family members, I, you know, I've been using FaceTime as well. It's great that they now have group FaceTime so you can actually get a few people on. So obviously using the tools that we have to stay connected to our loved ones and also still seek out socialization online. I don't think it has to be just because we're isolated. We have to turn off meeting new people or or expressing ourselves online even. Uh, The danger, of course, is trying to completely escape through video games and unplug and not take care of yourself. So I, I definitely believe that it's important that we unfortunately realize that this is probably going to be a lot longer than anyone anticipated and thinking that this is going to be over soon is probably too wishful thinking at this point. So realizing that, yes, it's going to be very hard financially on a tremendous amount of people, but also in the time that we have, let's make the most of it. Let's reconnect with each other and let's work on ourselves. Now, obviously launching a book, screw being shy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All of our listeners have tons of time to to pick up books and read them, hopefully. I know we've had a lot of great guests on over the years who have books. And your book, Screw Being Shy, recently came out. Yeah, man. Recently came out. It was supposed to come out uh, Saturday, March 14th. But I was like, listen, <laughs> this is happening. I'm just going to release it a day early. So it came out Friday. And yeah, I mean, honestly, like to me, I kind of wrote this book for myself. Mm-hmm. I kind of wrote it for like the 12-year-old version of me. And anytime that someone hears my story, anytime that I'm speaking at an event or someone hears my story or whatever, the number one thing is like someone will walk up, will walk up to me and I'll almost see, you know, the, the previous version of myself and them, like the way that they're walking, talking, they're a little bit socially anxious, maybe a little bit too shy. And, you know, I can't exactly give that person like, hey, here are three quick tips right. to totally solve this issue, right? So I'm like, hey, I'm going to launch this book. Um, 15% of the profits for the physical version are automatically donated to the um, Amer- American Foundation for Suicide. Uh, the audiobook comes out the last week of this, um, of this month, and um, it's going to be free for a weekend. 
And um, I'm just trying to get this message out there as soon as possible because honestly, like perhaps the most alarming piece of like legit science and data statistics out there that I almost fell into was social anxiety is one of the most common anxiety conditions in America. And it is the, out of all of them, it is the most correlated with substance abuse and social isolation, both of which are heavily connected to suicide, which right. kills 850,000 people a year. And like similar to a point you were saying, we now live in a world where you're more likely to kill yourself than someone else to walk up to you and kill you. And so I'm 22. I don't have all the answers. I wrote this book because I'm like, people literally need to know this at like a science, practical, story-based level. So people can check it out. Thank you guys so much for having me on. This is like an out-of-body experience because I've been such a fan of your podcast. So thank you guys for having me on. Thank you for sharing your story. And I feel like more people need to realize they're not alone in feeling that way and they can overcome it. It is something that doesn't have to be unfortunately, such a negative experience or death sentence for some people. So thank you for sharing your story, Mark. We really appreciate it. Good luck isolating yourselves. We're going to Lysol down the entire studio here and make sure no germs came our way over Skype. Yep. Stay safe. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank Woo! you. Cheers. Thank you, buddy. Now, what I love so much about Mark's journey is he looked deep inside of himself. It was not just about social skills and working on overcoming that social anxiety, but he looked at his mental health. He looked at his physical health, and that holistic approach allowed him to conquer those fears and anxieties. That's right. We've been saying it for years. Exercise, sleeping, and eating, these all play a role for you to be in the best position to acquire and learn new skills. And of course, he talked about how that journey may not be easy, but you can come out the other side more courageous, more confident, and of course, launching his own show to share that message with the world. We're so proud of Mark and his journey. That's one of the things that impressed me when I was doing some research for the show there was plenty of YouTube videos with him speaking in front of large crowds, hosting his own show. It just documents the journey that he has went on and came and where he is coming out the other side. Now, we got a shout out today that goes out to Dustin, right, Johnny? That's right. Today's shout out goes to Dustin, one of our Core Confidence alumni. He's been on the job search roller coaster for a while and now has reached out to us with a very enthusiastic email. Not only did it land a job as a lead in a prestigious startup and got a good raise to go along with it, the owners have agreed to mentor him so that he can start his own business. Way to go, Dustin. Hell yeah. I love success stories like that, especially that mentorship angle. So many of us can be afraid to ask for support from our bosses. And here he is working not only in a new company, but learning how to start his own business. Want to kick it into overdrive during the quarantine and crush your goals like Dustin? Then check out our group mentorship program, Core Confidence, and get coaching from me, Johnny, and Michael. To learn more, head on over to theartofcharm.com slash core and apply today. That's theartofcharm.com slash C-O-R-E. So here's our challenge for you this week. Reach out to a loved one or a friend you haven't connected with in a while and share in a conversation and connect. We're all in this crisis together and we need to help all of those in our lives who are feeling isolated and alone right now. I know even myself in this quarantine state, I'm frustrated. I like socializing and being able to go out. And it's difficult to have your life turned upside down. There are many people going through it. So reach out. We're in this together. And you can let us know. We want to hear about it. We're always excited to hear from you. You can send us your thoughts by going to theartofcharm.com slash questions. You can also email us at questions at theartofcharm.com. Find us on social media at The Art of Charm, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we've been lighting up the lives recently. You're going to see Johnny's gratitude workout sessions. Of course, we've been trying to make productive use of this quarantine so you could find us live each and every day on our social media platforms. Also, could you do us and the entire Art of Charm team a big favor? 
could you head on over to iTunes and rate the show? It would really mean the world to us, and it helps new listeners like yourselves find the show. The Art of Charm podcast is produced by Michael Harold and Eric Montgomery and engineered by Sam Jay and Bradley Dedham at Cast Media Studios in sunny downtown Hollywood. I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny, and we'll see you next week. Stay safe out there. Stay socially isolated, but connected. Have a good one. Yeah, I remember you. You were a bad boy. You